Good morning. Well, I, I want to take some credit for that new song we were singing because I incepted it into Pastor Aaron's mind by singing it, playing it, humming it, and whistling it for the last month. And so this is a, his attempt to kind of get me to stop doing that. But I think it just reinforces my habit that I can control him by the music I play in my office. And so I'm, I'm excited about that. Now, guys, for the stake and study, it's $15. But with inflation, by Thursday, we could raise that price to $34. And so... This is like a Stater Brothers half-off deal that you're getting right now. So I'll be there. You've got to sign up for that. Well, if you open up the Church Center app, you can follow along with our sermon notes. If you have a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 9. Last week in John chapter 8, we saw the glory of God displayed in Jesus himself as he showed us grace and truth in one person with that woman caught in adultery, right? He brought forgiveness and holiness, a changed life to this person's life in a way that was so beautiful for us to see. But, but he left a hostile crowd. They were trying to stone him to death because of his claim that he was God. And so he leaves this hostile crowd, and then calmly we see him find this blind person that we're going to read about in John chapter 9. Now, I've been thinking a lot about the topic of, of blindness, and early in the week I just decided I'm going to watch a documentary on blindness. And so I found this movie called Blind Sight. And it's an older movie. I can only watch it on, on YouTube, not on any of the Apple TV or anything. But it follows the lives of six blind Tibetan teenagers that heard a rumor that a blind person climbed Mount Everest. And so they found this person, and they wrote him a letter and said, could you come speak to our, our blind school in Tibet to inspire us? And he said, well, how about we actually try and go for it? And so some of the older teenagers that were there were given the opportunity to train, and they ended up climbing 21,000 feet all the way to advanced base camp. And it was one of the most inspiring things that I'd ever watched. But the entire time I was watching it, I was, I was so impressed because you, you think about uh, fear in general of, of reaching out and stepping forward and how intimidating that can be. And then you think about how they did this blind. And so yesterday, I went rock climbing uh, with my kids at Rock Fitness, uh, just to kind of feel what it was like. They've been taking classes there for a few months, and so I'm going I'm to figure this out. What is it like? And so I hooked up to the auto belay system that lets you kind of keeps it tight as you go up, and then it knows when you're coming down, and it calmly lets you down. So I'm watching my 10-year-old climb this wall that's, I mean, a little less than the ceiling, but pretty high. And then my eight-year-old is doing it, and then finally my, my five-year-old Titus scurries up this wall and then jumps off and just kind of slowly comes down. So I'm thinking, all right, this is great, but it's also easy. So I climb the same beginner wall that they do and get to the top, and I touch it. And go going up wasn't that difficult because I got long arms. And then I was up there, and I realized I have a fear of heights. What am I doing? <laughs> like, I always conquer my fear of heights, but I have it. And so I'm like, this is a horrible position to be in. I know I'm supposed to just let go and be slowly let down. I've got all my senses about me. I know that I am safe and that everything's okay and there's a soft pad below me, but I didn't want to do it, and I didn't do it. So I was like, you know, it's just as cool to climb down as it is to climb up, right? I mean, that's just as impressive. So I'm like, oh, I'm working on my climbing skills coming down, and, but Titus sold me out. Titus so like, Dad, just jump. You're fine. Just let go and jump. I'm like, no, I'm climbing down, son. I'm working on some skills, you know. And dad just, but he's yelling so loud that the whole climbing gym, all these adults are like this little pansy, right? <laughs> and so, but, but when I was eight feet from the bottom, I let go and it caught me and let me down slowly. 
But my, uh, how impressed I was for these six blind Tibetan teenagers went through the roof after that experience. Now, what, when I was watching this movie, in my heart, I was screaming out John chapter 9 to these teenagers because they come from a Buddhist culture. And so as you hear the backstory about them, their mother right in front of them will say, oh, my son must have done something horrible in his past life to be reincarnated as, as blind, right? To come back as blind. Oh, the karma there, he must have done something horrible. And then you'll talk to a kid and he'll say, I don't think I killed anyone in a different life. That would be horrible, but I, but I must have done something bad to be blind. And some of these kids are crying as their parents are describing what they did in their past life, supposedly. And you just want to scream out, no, that's not true. Because when you read John chapter 9, you realize this is an ancient thought that is not true. And you just want to yell the gospel to them. It stirs you up towards missions. We see the same exact mindset in John chapter 9. But Jesus is going to give a, bland, uh, give a, a blind man sight to illustrate spiritually what we all need. And even believers need to look at their hearts for blind spots. Even if we've had that spiritual sight of choosing Jesus and knowing, okay, He is my God, there can still be blind spots in our life. And so in John chapter 9, we see that Jesus looks at this man entirely differently than culture did. Verse 1, as He went along, He saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked Him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Culture at that time saw this man as either sinning himself or his family sinned. In that time period, in that, in that region, it was more of they thought that a baby could sin in the womb or the parents must have done something so bad that this man was born blind. Now, obviously, personal sin can lead to some kind of physical pain and suffering like this. That is an option. Sometimes the decisions we make lead to our own sickness and pain and to other people in our lives. But, but in general, it is the sin of Adam and Eve that causes this, this world to be broken. And so this world doesn't function as God intended it to, which is why He went on this rescue mission to come and save us. But our bodies are broken. Our bodies age and die and get sick, not because of a person's individual sin, but because that sin has affected this entire world. These disciples were completely wrong in analyzing this situation, and that should humble us. They give Jesus an A and a B, and he's like, what are you talking about? It's neither, it's neither of those. If the disciples who walked with Jesus could be wrong, that should bring humility in our lives. These disciples were focused on a theological problem and assigning blame, and there wasn't much interest or thought in helping the person who was suffering. Where is the compassion here? This feels wrong. Now, we're all tempted to do the same, and, and many times it is right to make sure that we aren't being swindled or that we're not enabling someone by helping them. But in the moment when we see someone that is hurting, 
we can be compassionate and happy is the person who is not jaded through life but vulnerable and continues to help and leaves the assigning of blame and the judging to God instead of taking that on themselves. I like how C.H. Spurgeon, a famous preacher of old, said it. He said, it is ours not to speculate but to perform acts of mercy and love according to the sense of the gospel. Let us then be less inquisitive and more practical less for cracking doctrinal nuts and more for bringing forth the bread of life to the starving multitudes. It's not always our job to figure out why someone is in a position of need and in hurting, but the sense of the gospel is that we can be a part of helping them. I think it was just last week that we had a few couples from the the church over and we heard such a faith-building and inspiring story from, from both of them, but, but one of them in particular, it's been almost 12 years that every Saturday they personally feed the homeless in Lake Elsinore breakfast. And you think, oh, I wonder, you know, I wonder where they get the funding from what church is sponsoring it. No, they, they, like, they make the food in their homes and they bring it themselves. They, they bought chickens so they could have more eggs cheaper so that they could feed 50 people every single Saturday. And instead of focusing on whether these people really need it or or not, they're just faithful to listen to people when they say they're hungry to feed them. For 12 years, they've been able to do this. The faithfulness blew me away that they would help like this. Jesus said this man in in the story was suffering because God was gonna do a work, not because either of them were guilty of anything in particular. Jesus moves the question away from who was guilty to what can God do in this situation. Instead of focusing on a theological problem, he saw it as a chance for people to feel God's love in their life. And he says in verse 4 that as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. We have an opportunity now to help others because it's right in front of us. But he says, we must do the works, right? This is on us as well, not just on, on Christ. Following Jesus means that it is a given to be involved in his mission as a believer in him. And we're not always going to have this opportunity. He says, night is coming when no one can work. Life is going to pass us by and good intentions are going to move to the past Now is the time for us to serve our community and those that are less fortunate. And and you hear this all the time as a parent. Oh, enjoy it now. Time flies. Before you know it, they're not going to pick up the phone and they don't want to hear with you. Just enjoy it. And so we've got elementary age kids and we are trying to enjoy it. And sometimes I think they know that we're doing this and they may manipulate us a little bit. Um, Shannon, Shannon, in a moment of weakness, gave them the code that they could use against her, where if she's ever tired and doesn't want to tuck them in, she said one day, you know what, kids, if, you, if I ever say that to you, you just grab my cheeks and look at me and say, Mom, one day I'm not going to ask you to tuck me in. I'll be too big. And, and she told them in advance how she would cry and everything. And so all the time now, all of a sudden, they switch into a sweet voice when they see she's tired. Mom, you'll come tuck us in. One day you won't, you won't do that. And, and it works every single time. I don't know why she gave them the code. We can't rest anymore. But just a few days ago, Titus was looking at me. I had made the kids breakfast, and I sat down at the, the table, and I was just reading an article that I thought was important. And Titus, with a big box of Pokemon, which obviously isn't something I'm into, says, uh, Dad, is what you're doing important? I'm kind of, who taught you to talk like that? It was, it was respectful, but it felt manipulative also. And so I had to decide, well, no, I guess it's not important. 
And he goes, oh, yay, then you can play with me. And he's right. Then I began to do something that was important, playing Pokemon with my, with my son. And he's right. It was, it was more important. And so we have opportunities now that won't be here later. And so we've got a community missions program here at the church where we're trying to reach the five cities that are closest to us. And we've had one outreach, a city serve day already. And we've got another that's coming up. We're going to put it up on the, on the screen. We've got a spring food drive that's, that's coming up. We want to fill the food pantries in the five towns that are around us. And so you can text the word food to that number that we're always talking about. This will be announced. It'll, it'll be, you know, we'll give you all the details about it. But right now, start thinking just mentally and in your heart saying, yeah, this is something where I can recognize one day I won't have this opportunity. Right now, my community is saying that there is food insecurity and that they need help, and we're going to have a chance to help them. So when we see someone that's in trouble, instead of that temptation to assign blame and to inquire why they're even in that situation, which at times is appropriate, let's just start defaulting to this is an opening for God's love. God wants to show people that He loves them. Now, some ask uh, a much deeper question than this when they're processing suffering, and it's a question that can look like this. Is it fair that God makes someone's life difficult so that He can get glory from helping them? Because after all, Jesus says in verse 3, this happened so the works of God might be displayed. But what it doesn't say and where the question is wrong is that God did not cause this blindness. God is not the author of evil but he did allow it. And that's where we have to work through because sin has affected this world and our bodies so much that we're constantly begging the Lord for heaven on earth. And we want that experience we're going to have in the future right now. And that's normal. And it's right to ask our father in heaven for help, but he can't say yes all the time or else we'd be in heaven. He still is waiting for that, each and every last person to hear the gospel and to choose him. And so there's still pain in this world. And so we have a hard time processing that pain. But this question reveals a very normal human condition that we believe physical need is greater than our spiritual need. If, if we're honest, almost all of us believe that is the case, right? If we could just have God's physical blessings, tangible blessings, then we'd be okay. The entire life of Jesus is telling us that we have that reversed, that we need to start valuing the spiritual blessings of God and, and, and analyzing our spiritual needs in light of what Jesus is telling us here. But that's hard to process, and I'm not minimizing anyone's pain in processing that. And my wife and I have had to process pain like that, and we will again in the future. And so while you see the crazy Dean family running around the patio as a, as a, a family strong as, as five, one day in heaven we're going to be a family of seven because we've had two kids from miscarriages that have gone on there before us. Even though we pleaded, we pleaded with God that this wouldn't happen, we, we begged Him that this wouldn't happen, He allowed it to happen. So how do we process that suffering? Well, what, what we know about the Scriptures is God didn't cause this. We're asking Him not to allow it, but when He did, we have to process that in His goodness, that He is still good even though that pain came here. And He helped us during it. He answered our prayers by comforting our broken hearts, by bringing Christians from the church out to, to share their pain with us so we didn't feel alone. And he's going to fix it one day. There will come a day when I get to heaven and I will stand before the Lord with a family of seven. And I will give God glory for that, that he kept my two children safe with him. 
And so we try to give that glory early, and we named our children to give God glory. So one is Enoch Nahum Dean, the kind of name you get beat up for in fourth grade, but is great in heaven, right? And so it sounds Amish, which is cool, but Enoch walked with the Lord and was not because the Lord took him. And, and the Lord chose to take our child, and that's okay. And Nahum 1.7 says the Lord is good. And the Lord took him, and the Lord is still good. And so we testify that in his name. And our second is uh, Judah James Dean. Judah is to praise the Lord. And in James, there's a verse about patience that we needed to read because that was a long, painful process. And so we give God glory now, but one day we'll stand there as a whole family because God has a plan to fix our pain. One day, every tear is going to be wiped away from our eyes. And so if you've experienced similar pain, there's a, there's a book that really ministered to me that I just want to put up on the screen. It's called Safe in the Arms of God by John MacArthur. And this book ministered to our hurting soul for miscarriage or losing a child early in life. It, it just helps the healing. And so I've, I've given this book out to more than a dozen people over the years as they've gone through their pain. And um, I hope that it blesses you as well. God doesn't author this kind of pain. He allows it. But here's the thing that helps me answer this question the best, the thing that makes me kind of come to my senses about who God is. The answer to this question would be even harder if Jesus didn't make his own life harder to bring glory to the Father. Jesus could have stayed in paradise and tried to save us from a, from a distance. He has experienced no pain before the creation of, of humans on this planet. But Jesus decided to enter into this world humbly in a manger and then be spit on, mocked, beaten, whipped, and crucified. He didn't have to do that. So as we're wrestling with God with our pain, we have to at least realize, well, he understands pain, and he didn't keep himself from that pain. He entered in it to relate to us and to save us. That's the God that loves us and is helping this blind man right now. Now, as Jesus healed him, he did it in a unique and humbling kind of a way. I think it's important for us to see that. In verse 6, it says, after saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the, the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing we're reminded of God using dust to make man, and now Jesus is using dust to create sight in a man, reminding us of the deity of Jesus. But the method that Jesus used for healing is constantly changing, so no formula could be created. If Jesus always went to the same pile of dirt to get some dirt and spit on it, I mean, within a week or two, some entrepreneur would grab that dirt and bottle it up and say, this is the dirt Jesus used. And it's not a formula, it's God that we call out to for healing. And this healing is connected to faith and obedience. Notice Jesus said, go and wash, and it wasn't until the man went and washed that he received his sight. There was obedience there. And we don't even see a promise for healing in the Scriptures. This man obeyed not knowing if he was going to be healed or not. And that is the place we want to get to in our lives, that we would obey Jesus even if he doesn't answer our prayers. Even if he doesn't give us the physical healing, the physical blessing, we would obey him because of who he is. That's the goal I have for my children in life, right? Like, I want them to obey because they know I have their best interests in mind, and I'm trying to help them grow into a less monstrous creation, right? And so I want them to obey for the right reasons, but they don't, they don't always, right? And so 
Sometimes you'll hear them say like, oh, we would love to do the dishes and do this or that. And if it led to extra iPad time, then that would be a blessing, you know? And you're like, you little manipulating brat, you know? No, you're going to do this because you're a part of the Dean family and this is what we do and you, you do chores to, to help him. We want them to obey for the right reasons. And that's how our relationship with God should be. But not everyone appreciate, would appreciate mud mixed with saliva being placed on their eyes, right? All of us are like, oh, I'd pass pass on that, that, that healing. Some would object and say, this doesn't make any sense. It's inadequate. It's not going to heal the person. It's offensive to me. We're not, we're not going anywhere near that. Just like people respond to the gospel like that. The gospel is offensive to us because we have to admit that we are sinners that need salvation. We need rescuing. Well, that offends us. That we have to believe in someone that is on the cross, that offends us. And it's inadequate, we think. Well, what is believing and someone who is crucified really going to do for me. And so the good news of Jesus humbles us to be in a position where we can accept that good news. The people reacting to this blind person having sight is amazing. In verse 10, they say, how then were your eyes open? They can't believe it. It's a mystery to them that something like this would happen. And I believe that Jesus helped physically so that he could help spiritually. He helped because he was compassionate, but the greater thing that he did was to bring sight, spiritual sight, to everyone. People wondering how this was possible only had a few clues to look at. In Psalm 146, it says, the Lord gives sight to the blind, right? Only God can do this. But in, in biblical history recorded to this point, we don't see anyone that was born blind that was healed. And there are prophecies about the coming Messiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah 35, 5, that says, then will the eyes of the blind be opened. And so Jesus did this physical hearing, healing to help people to see the spiritual healing that was needed. They started wondering, wait, could this be the Messiah that it was told us could open the eyes of the blind? And so just like Jesus helped physically to help people see clearer spiritually, that's what happens when we pe help people physically. Right? When we choose to bless our communities and our families, it can lead to spiritual conversations, spiritual sight. And we're called to do this even when we don't know how it's going to lead to a gospel conversation. This man was healed and left Jesus before he heard the good news about who Jesus was. And so this week, when, when just a few days ago, we saw on social media that our town was doing a picnic in the park for adults with special needs, and they were going to have some, a DJ there and some, and some games and, and food. We thought, wait a second, we can be a part of this. We can make this event even better. I think of John chapter 2 when they ran out of wine at the wedding and Jesus gave them new wine. He made that party better. How can we make this event for people that we know God loves even better? God has a special place in his heart for orphans and widows, the disabled, Right, those that, are, that have disadvantages in life. He is near to the brokenhearted. How can we be near to them to show them that God loves them? We didn't, we didn't even know if we could hand out flyers there and if that would even be appropriate. And the truth is we misplaced the flyers and couldn't find them. So that, that would, but should we even help when there's not going to be a clear gospel invitation at the end? Yes, because we serve a God who is a servant. Our God is clearly a God who helps and serves, and so that's who we're being molded to be. And so we showed up because last month we bought seven amazing carnival games, and we set them up. We got some volunteers from the church to run them, 
And it was a hit with all the adults with special needs. They loved these events. We gave out prizes and all kinds of stuff. And they were, it was like a magnet for this party to be over in the Cornerstone section. By the end of the night, the mayor is saying, oh, Cornerstone brought these carnival games. We're so thankful. And it was a testimony to the fact that God loves everybody in our community. We'll show you pictures next week of that event that happened yesterday. It was, it was a life-giving moment to be a part of. Now, this blind man was going to realize pretty quickly that following Jesus has a lot of obstacles. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy now that he's following Jesus. Verse 19 shows us this, that the religious leaders start to challenge him and wonder, how does he have sight? And so they call his parents in because they're sure that he's lying to them. Maybe if we call the blind man's parents in, they'll say, oh, this isn't our kid. This is all a rumor. Well, in verse 19, they say, is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Well, we know he's our son, the parents answered. And we know that he was born blind, but how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. This man experienced three hardships, obstacles in following Jesus, but he pushed through all of them. The first is a lack of support from his own family. I mean, they weren't disowning him, but they were not rejoicing with him because they were afraid they would be kicked out of the synagogue. And so they did the kind of basic connection that they could and then put it all on him. And he ends up getting thrown out of the synagogue. And a lack of family support is something that some experience when they choose to walk with Jesus, and that doesn't work with the family anymore. This man was also asked some very tough questions, theological questions. Who did this? How did it happen? Tell us, tell us the truth. He couldn't answer all the questions but he could share a powerful testimony of what Jesus had done. He says, I don't know. I don't know how to answer your questions. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And there will be people that will push you for questions and answers and say, well, what about this? And what about this obstacle to the faith? And I don't believe in Jesus because of this and this about the Bible. It's okay to say, I don't know. I can research those things with you, but I don't know. But I know that once I was blind and now I see this is what Jesus has done in my life and nobody can take your testimony away from you. And this man wasn't treated well by the religious leaders as well. It says in verse 28, they hurled insults at him. They were mocking him in his sinful state at birth even. They, they threw him out of the synagogue. Everything seemed against this person. And we have to wrestle with this question of why do we follow Jesus? And if we are only following Jesus because we want a physical blessing, a physical healing, then we will not always follow Jesus because that won't always be what we get. We need to follow him because he is God and he is good. And the spiritual sight that the blind man now is going to receive is what all of us need at some point in our life. Look at verse 35. It says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus heals this man a second time, now giving him spiritual sight. He had spiritual blindness that Jesus still needed to deal with. And look at the progression of knowledge that this blind man experienced just in this chapter going to put a chart up on the screen so that we can see it. Just in this chapter, here's the journey he went on. 
similar to a journey some of us are on. In verse 11, he, he knows only that Jesus is a man. But then when he's healed, he says, well, he's got to be a prophet, right? Verse 17. Then he comes to say that he is his disciple, so Jesus is my teacher, verse 27. And then verse 33, he's like, well, he's got to be from God. God must be pleased with him to allow him to heal. And then he gets closer. He's the son of God, or some translations say the son of man, which is a messianic title in the Old Testament in books of Daniel that points towards the Messiah. And finally, Jesus is who I trust and worship. This is a journey that many find themselves on, not fully believing, but continuing to get closer to this revelation that Jesus is God. And when people believe that and trust and worship in Jesus, their spiritual blindness has been healed. And you may say, well, that's great, but I'm a believer, so I'm not spiritually blind. Am I? Is that, is that what you're saying? Look at verse 39. Jesus said to the Pharisees this time, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and said, what, are we blind also? The Pharisees who know the Torah so well, they know the Bible so well, but academically, and it's leading them to reject Jesus, are they blind? Yeah. Jesus is saying you're blind also. This passage connects closely with the idea that Jesus came to heal the sick. We need to know that we need the great physician. We need to know that we're lost and we need help in Jesus. If we think we're okay, there is still blindness that is here. And so if we read the Bible, but it's all academic and it doesn't lead to worship and adoring Jesus, then yeah, there's some blind spots we still have. If we think we're just fine when it comes to sin, we're only little sinners and we, we have judgment for those big sinners that really need to change. No, the pursuit of holiness continues our whole life. There's a blind spot there if we don't think we need Jesus and his salvation. If you think the world will satisfy you, there's a blind spot there. You'll never find ultimate satisfaction in the world, just temporary pleasure. And if you think that, that money or a job will provide you security and provision, that's an illusion. That can be taken from us at any moment. Our security and provision comes from God himself. And so how do we know if we still have blind spots? I'm going to recommend an article to read. Um, I wrote this article in 2017. It's, it's largely just a quote that I'm analyzing. Let me warn you, if you struggle with condemnation and guilt, this article's not for you. You already know that you're not blind, that you need Jesus to rescue you, and, and you find yourself in that humble position of saying, yes, Jesus is my Savior. Without his grace, I'm nothing. But as I went through some of these questions, if you're like, no, I'm good, I'm fine, then this is an article to read. It comes largely from a quote from a book called The Way of a Pilgrim, which is a, a Russian Christian book that was written in the 19th century following a simple peasant as he walked around Russia, Ukraine, and a, and a bunch of different areas there. And he was asking the priests there, well, how do I pray without ceasing? That was his goal. He ended up getting to a conclusion that I don't fully uh, agree with. It's not, it's not a, a full theological connection that I believe at all. He thought you should just pray nonstop the same one-sentence prayer hundreds of thousands of times a day. I don't, I don't think that's the answer. But he met someone that challenged him on his heart and says, you don't love God. And the guy's like, I'm on a spiritual pilgrimage. Of course I love God. And then there are these four paragraphs where he begins to dismantle this person's faith. And I have found it healthy 
to read in times where I'm not repenting of sin enough in, in the evenings. Reading an article like this reminds me I have a long way to go in my love for the Lord, love for other people, love for God's Word. And so I think it's a really healthy quote to read. You can go to our website slash blind, uh, blind spots to see that article. Now, blindness in this chapter is a metaphor for all of us. Just like last week, the woman caught in adultery is a story about all of us getting caught in our sins. Blindness is something we've all experienced before Jesus opens our eyes. Everyone is spiritually blind from birth, and Jesus has to take the initiative to open our eyes, and then he does a work of creation in us, not a work of reformation. Being a Christian isn't starting to follow certain rules. We need a new heart. We need to become a new creation that God will give us the strength to, to fight against sin. And we, like this blind man, must be obedient. This blind man went and, and washed his eyes. We need to follow Jesus in an obedient way. We are commanded to wash in the waters of baptism, and we need to follow Christ and make that declaration. And just like his friends thought this was a mystery and they couldn't figure it out, our friends are going to say, what happened to you? What is different in your life? And this man was loyal to Jesus even when persecuted, and that is our goal, that even when mocked, even when it's hard, we would follow Jesus all our life and, like him, go from little knowledge to greater knowledge to worshiping Jesus more and more every single day. We can't see our own blind spots. That has to be something that God speaks into our lives, and so let's ask the Holy Spirit for help in showing us that now. Father, would you please help us? Lord, if we think we're doing okay, Lord, show us that we still need you desperately every single day. Lord, for those that are here that are still trying to figure out who Jesus is, give them the strength to continue to press forward towards that claim that, that he is God and wants to save them. And for those that have made that decision, Lord, we know that holiness is a pursuit that will last a lifetime. And as we draw nearer to you, we will have a greater heart towards holiness. And so show us our blind spots. We know that you don't do that to make us feel guilty and horrible because our identity is in you and we've been covered by the blood of Jesus and we are loved by our Father in heaven. But from that foundation of love, help us to move forward to repent of our sins and follow after you all the days of our life. So help us to do that in Jesus' name, amen. We've got a prayer team available up front that would love to pray with you and we'll see you next week. God bless.